Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and SWE's blog, All Together, at altogether.swe.org. Looking for more information and data on women in engineering? Head over to research.swe.org and review the groundbreaking research that SWE has been conducting. SWE's research efforts include reporting on women of color in engineering and how community colleges may play a role in getting more women to graduate with engineering degrees. You can also check out the annual SWE Literature Review in SWE Magazine's State of Women in Engineering issue. Hi, I'm Penny Wersing, FY19 President of the Society of Women Engineers, and this is SWE's Diverse Podcast. Joining me now is Elizabeth Laboa. She is Dean of the University of Missouri College of Engineering. Thanks for joining us, Dean Laboa. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, uh, Dean Laboa, you started your education at a community college. What role do you think community colleges have in our education system, and why was community college the right fit for you? Uh, So I think community colleges play a really large role for a lot of us that uh, are starting our educational pathway. When I finished high school, I uh, did was not really certain what I was going to do, what I wanted to study, but also I was uh, already out out living independently and uh, waitressing and uh, not uh, didn't have the income to go straight to college. So what I did in uh, as, a, as a full-time employee was start taking classes just at lunch breaks, evenings. And uh, frankly, for me, if it had not been for community college, I would not have been able to progress through to a four-year education and eventually graduate school. Uh, so which at, at the time when I was taking my community college courses, I had no idea that I would uh, stay in academia, progress through to graduate school, but it was a wonderful, I I think it's a wonderful opportunity for students who might not be ready to jump into a four-year college to have the ability to take courses at reduced costs and uh, also while working around potentially some uh, tough scheduling if uh, someone has a full-time job and uh, wants to just take a couple classes at a time, I think it's it's really a beneficial path to take. Well, I have to say I, I agree with you 100%. I also started at a community college, and um, at the time I was a divorced um, mother, and so absolutely the cost and the access is what made it possible for me to pursue an engineering degree. So um, I'm, I'm behind your position 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. So after community college, you attended the University of California, Davis, graduating with a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering. What prompted your interest in engineering? And did you see women working as engineers around you at that point in time? Well, actually, no, I really did not see women engineers. What prompted my excitement about engineering is when I finished my community college degree, uh, I had an arts, uh, a, uh, an AS degree in math and science and uh, 
saw that that could progress into an engineering curriculum in uh, at the four-year college when I transferred to UC Davis. But in particular, actually, I was really interested in combining biology and engineering. Didn't really see how I could do that. At, at the time when I was getting my degree, biomedical engineering was uh, nowhere near as common as it is today. And so what I saw in, in mechanical engineering was this idea that I could understand sort of uh, the the joints and cantilevers that uh, they talk about in in mechanical engineering in the way that I could look at the bones and uh, and ligaments in my skeleton. And I thought, okay, you know, I can see how some of the ideas and principles and concepts that we were learning through a mechanical engineering degree were those that I could apply to better understanding aspects of the human body and uh, transitioned uh, eventually to my graduate school work. But even as uh, an undergrad at UC Davis, I was able to do research in a lab that could translate some of the coursework that I was learning to uh, the lab work I was doing, and I could really see that connection. Um, I will say, though, unfortunately, there was not too many women. I, I think we were probably it was about one woman for every 10 uh, men in the classroom. So it, it really wasn't a function of a lot of women around me as engineers. Yeah. And fortunately, um, that is changing slowly. Um, so uh, thank you for sharing that. So you, you started your career at Stanford, but quickly moved to an assistant professor position in the joint department of biomedical engineering at UNC Chapel Hill and uh, North Carolina State University in Raleigh, North Carolina. What prompted your interest in academia? Well, you know, it's it's interesting, right? It's sort of, this, as I said, I went from community college to UC Davis. And really, when I started my college career, had no idea about the opportunities in, in academia. So what really prompted my interest is once I transferred, finished my bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering at UC Davis and was accepted to Stanford, uh, I, I knew then, I think while I was, while I was doing graduate school, of course, um, that I did want to progress into academia. And part of that was just the love of research that I gained when I started even working as an undergraduate in a research lab. And then when I transitioned to Stanford and, and finished my master's and PhD there, uh, it was the research aspect that really garnered my excitement about staying in academia. And in particular, the idea that you could continue in an environment that is really about um, from my perspective, how do we work and, and train the next generation to to work on problems that are really going to make the world a better place? And that's really what I think about when I think about my research. Are we uh, doing things, are we working in, in an area in the lab that can really um, solve health healthcare needs? And so for me, while I was a graduate student, I knew I wanted to continue on in academia and progress into an assistant professor role because I was so excited about the thought of, of being able to run my own lab, bring in students, train that next generation, and, and really solve critical areas of, of need in, in the healthcare area. Now, in particular, with respect to the Joint Department of Biomedical Engineering at UNC Chapel Hill and NC State, when I finished my uh, degree at, at Stanford and my PhD, I did stay on there for just a little while teaching a strength and materials course while I was deciding where I wanted to go for my academic position and uh, applied it at a number of places and really wanted to do something uh, 
to go somewhere new and, and something that uh, really appealed to me. Uh, and again, from that research perspective, but also maybe helping to to build something new. And, and that's what was so exciting to me about going to the Joint Department of Biomedical Engineering at UNC Chapel Hill and NC State is that was a brand new department being formed. I was the first external hire that they were bringing in and it was linking in the School of Medicine at UNC Chapel Hill and the College of Engineering at NC State. Uh, so I really liked that idea of starting a brand new lab, helping to launch a new department and uh, bringing in these interdisciplinary colleges, right? So uh, two completely different, two different universities um, and working out of the School of Medicine uh, and the College of Engineering, which I, I think uh, it's for some of the most critical problems and, and global challenges facing us, we really need to think about these uh, problems and, and ways to solve them through interdisciplinary approaches. Thank you. And, and being a first um, was that was not the only time you were first. I understand um, <laughs> you, right. you were named the dean um, of, of the University of Missouri College of Engineering in 2015, um, and the first female dean. Uh, and at that time, I understand you were directing the cell mechanics lab. What was the allure of a deanship at that point in time, and and why did you consider Mizzou a good fit? Well, you know, actually, so in in addition to um, being a professor and, and running my lab, I also was the associate chair of the department at that point. So I had started to serve in, in more expansive administrative roles as well. And to be honest, I was not looking. I did not apply for dean positions. I was not on the market or applying for, for positions. I was very happy where I was um, with with the Department of Biomedical Engineering and with my lab, I was actually approached by uh, the search committee that, or the search firm that Mizzou had uh, retained to hire a dean and hadn't even thought in my mind about taking sort of that next step at that time. But when I was approached uh, for this position and came out, I thought, you know, I'm, I am going to look at this because when I think about Again, like I said, I think a lot of us in engineering, we think from that context of we're solving global challenges, the research we do, we really want to help people um, and and make the world a better place, as I, as I put it. We want to build things and solve problems. And when I was approached for the dean position and thinking as an engineer about some of the grand challenges facing our planet, really... Uh, I think innovation lies at the intersections. And when I came out to Mizzou, I was so incredibly impressed by the breadth and the comprehensiveness of this university. I mean, so from the standpoint of uh, the biomedical engineering, which again, my background, to have a university that has engineering medicine and veterinary medicine all on the same campus is really powerful from the standpoint of how we can truly understand how to uh, come up with some novel approaches, technologies, treatments that we might be able to uh, provide to patients because we can we can take it all the way from benchtop to bedside. And that was unique for me. I had never been at a place that actually had all of those on one campus. Like, like I said, I had been at UNC Chapel Hill and, and uh, NC State, but those were 
in order to get a school of medicine and veterinary medicine, um, I'm sorry, and engineering, those were two entirely different universities. And even though vet med was at NC State, you still had to drive there. So from the context of uh, the aspect of what I could do from a research perspective, it was really exciting and compelling to come to Mizzou. And what we have to offer here is something uniquely different than any place I had ever been. Now, from the standpoint of Dean, I was, uh, like I said, I hadn't even been thinking about that next step really. Um, but what happened when I was recruited and came out here and I thought about, you know, part of the most exciting aspect of my position as a, in my research role and running a lab in my administrative role as associate chair was that next generation. What can we do to really ensure success and um, helping the next generation achieve their goals? And so from the standpoint of an, of an impact, I thought, my gosh, if, if I progress from a professor and associate chair of a department, and then I'm, I'm going to a dean position, Boy, we're going from hundreds of students to thousands of students. And the ability to make an impact both in research that's done that I, I think can really be transformational, but also the education that we can provide, uh, that was very compelling to me. And so, uh, again, and, and of course, like I said, Mizzou has so many amazing strengths that I was I was very excited and um, and from the standpoint of the research and, and the impact. Now, what I, I do want to touch on at the um, at the end of this, you know, what you also wrote in that or said asked in that question was about being the first female dean, and I'll tell you that played a role as well in my decision to come. I I got online, you know, when I was uh, looking thinking about the position, I was talking to my husband and saying, "Boy, you know, I." I you know, because honestly, I do suffer from some imposter syndrome, like a lot of women in engineering and um, historically underrepresented populations in engineering. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I can do that. Am, am I capable of that? Um, but I also take very seriously the importance of what I do as a woman in leadership positions, which is uh, I want to make sure that I'm helping to bring up the next generation of of women and and other uh, underrepresented populations. And the way that happens is that we need to see more and more women in those leadership roles. so i I happened to Google it at the time, saying, "Okay, well, how many women deans are there of colleges of engineering?" And at the time when I looked, and this was just a Google search, so you know, don't don't. I'm not sure if it, how accurate it was, but it looked like there was about 1,100 colleges of engineering, and I was changing the number of women at the time from 28 to 29. And that was the final closer for me. I thought, okay, um, I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm going to give it my best, and, and I'm going to uh, ignore that voice in the back of our heads that a lot of us have, that imposter syndrome that says no matter how far you've come or how how good you've done, there's that little voice that can occur in the back of our heads telling us, well, you're not as good as as they think you are. So I'm going to ignore this. I'm going to push through because it's incredibly important that uh, more women engineers see women in leadership roles and can see themselves as engineers. Um, and then as you said, now we're, I think uh, we're up to 65 female deans at engineering schools nationwide, or I think you said that, I, I don't know, but that uh, maybe that's the number I have in my head that that is about where we're at right now. So 
that's that's where we're at. Still have a ways to go, but we're getting there. That is amazing. I mean, it, it's it's great that we have basically doubled the number since you initially uh, looked at, at you know Googled. But yeah, sixty five out of uh, I believe you said eleven hundred uh, engineering. About eleven hundred colleges of engineering nationwide. Yes, we still have a long way to go. We so do. Thank you for being um, uh, a role model for other uh, women who are. Who may aspire to leadership at that level, and I also same I mean, to you. you <laughs> same to you. you. <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head there with the uh, imposter syndrome. It's something that we all deal with, and um, and so your advice there is very welcome. So last year you were named vice chancellor for strategic partnership at Mizzou. And you assumed this new role while continuing to serve as dean of the College of Engineering. Tell us about what you do in this role and how does your work as dean of the college inform your work in this role and vice versa? Absolutely. Well, I was really honored to uh, be named the vice chancellor for strategic partnerships last year. And my work in that role is really, uh, just like the title says, it's about creating these partnerships to, to solve some of these critical challenges that I talked about from the engineering perspective, the grand challenges facing our planet. In particular, though, this one is related to the strengths we have, not just at this university, but across the entire UM system uh, related to precision medicine our, in our precision medicine initiative. And I, I talked about just on this campus that we have engineering medicine and veterinary medicine on the same campus. We also have incredible work happening in animal sciences, medicinal chemistry, radiopharmaceutical chemistry. And we have the largest university research reactor of any university in the country. Um, and some people think of that and think, okay, so what does nuclear engineering have to do with, with all of that? But frankly, uh, what we really do with our research reactor is focused on nuclear medicine. And I believe there's been four uh, cancer drugs that are already on the market that are a function of rate that are uh, on the market helping patients with cancer as a function of radioisotopes that are developed at the MU research reactor. So what I do in this role is really to bring all the partners to the table, not just at the Mizzou campus, but across the entire UM system uh, related to uh, our precision medicine initiative, which is a uh, uh, an area that we're working on trying to address critical healthcare challenges and advance um, understanding diagnoses and in particular uh, get faster treatments for uh, specific um, neurological disorders, for cancer, and for vascular diseases. And that's by taking in the strengths uh, that I talked about both here at Mizzou, but also some of the incredible work that happens at our three sister universities, Missouri S&T, uh, UM Kansas City, and also uh, UM St. Louis. So in that role, I'm, I'm helping to bring all those partners together and also really driving uh, the creation of a new facility that will house our very best faculty and scientists and uh, uh, students and postdocs in that area, the Translational Precision Medicine Complex, which will have its doors open uh, on October 19th, 2021. <laughs> so that will be a uh, 265,000 square foot facility. So, so that's my focus in that area. But, uh, you know, like I said, I think from the engineering perspective, regardless of the discipline you're, you're trained in, we are all trained as critical thinkers to build things and solve problems. And 
I'm at uh, an incredibly strong university from the standpoint of interdisciplinary innovation. And like I said, I, I truly believe uh, innovation lies at the intersections. So from a, an engineering standpoint, I, I it, it overlaps quite beautifully, actually, the work I do in my vice chancellor role and my role as dean of engineering. Thank you. Thank you. Your research focuses on the effects of mechanical, electrical, and chemical stimuli on adult stem cell function and differentiation with the long-term goal of engineering musculoskeletal issues. You're in the process of building a new lab at the college to support your work in this area. In layman's terms, what problems does your research seek to solve? Well, so, you know, it's like I said, actually, all my degrees are in mechanical engineering, but at my research, uh, what all the way back through in grad school, I started really trying to think about ways to a- apply what I was learning in those mechanical engineering courses and in my research to uh to the human body. And so from the standpoint of tissue engineering of musculoskeletal tissues, my focus has been how do we better mimic the environment inside our body in vivo with respect to what are the actual mechanical loads, there's electrical stimuli that occur in vivo inside the body, and also better ways to mimic uh, our, our tissues. So when you think about you know many years back how maybe traditionally biology would be done in these Petri dishes, right? You'd have these tissue culture plastic, and these would all be in two-dimensional environments. And maybe you put some cells in there and then different chemicals and and see, okay, can I get these um, stem cells? In the case of the research in my lab, we focus on uh, what are called bone marrow-derived mesenchymal stem cells. So these are um, adult stem cells that can be isolated from bone marrow. And we focus on human adipose-derived adult stem cells. And these are stem cells that can be isolated from patient fat. So uh, both adult, both uh, types of adult stem cells. But when you think about this as an engineer, putting these cells just in a two-dimensional environment, tissue culture, plastic, is really not biomimetic or mimicking what's occurring inside the body in vivo. So what we do is really take an engineering approach where we say, okay, so if we think about um, bringing in optimal engineering principles and and three-dimensional environments and how to create biomaterials that better mimic human tissues so that when we're trying to do um, engineering of musculoskeletal tissues in vitro or in the lab, we then focus on, okay, let's apply mechanical loads that are consistent with what those tissues will have to withstand when they're implanted. Let's apply um, electrical stimuli that are consistent or that we know can help trigger these um, fat-derived stem cells to become bone cells. And let's also uh, culture them on three-dimensional scaffolds that, again, are more consistent than than with a two-dimensional environment of tissue culture plastic. So really, it's the idea of uh, taking these engineering principles that we can think about doing computational modeling of the human body, and then taking those ideas and applying uh, applying them to create environments, whether those are material environments or mechanical environments, that better replicate what actually occurs inside the human body so that when we create these musculoskeletal tissues, and we do a lot of focus on bone and cartilage, and we think about implanting those into a patient who might need them. And so when you think about cartilage, you can think about 
someone who uh, really is suffering from arthritis and, and maybe uh, would need a, a, a joint um, replacement in the future? Well, could we do that with their own fat-derived stem cells and help create a joint for them? Uh, when you think about uh, great bone loss, how do we uh, engineer enough bone for someone? You can think about this from someone who's either been in, a say, a major car accident or, or um, are wounded warfighters who might have uh, really uh, lost uh, some musculoskeletal tissues in, in combat. So we really think about how can we take some adult stem cells from a patient, and in particular, we do quite a bit with these fat-derived stem cells, and then use those with truly uh, mimetic mechanical loads and material environments to create new bone and cartilage for, for the patients. Well, that sounds really fascinating, and I really hadn't thought about labs in that uh, respect before, but it makes perfect sense that, that a three-dimensional uh, lab would open up so many opportunities. So that, that sounds really exciting. Mizzou Engineering currently has its largest enrollment of women in the last four years. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, yeah. And I understand the college continues to make efforts to increase the number of female engineering students. And as a result, female engineers. Can you talk a little bit about your current efforts? Um, I understand the college is focused on diversity in general. So why is that important? Absolutely. Uh, so first I'll talk about our current efforts. I think, uh, so as of 2017, we opened what, uh, an inclusivity center in the college, and that actually is a physical space with really extensive programming that um, that teaches about uh, the importance of diversity and um, the really the great strengths that diversity and inclusivity brings to uh, to engineering. And I'll I'll talk a little bit about that uh, after I talk a little bit more about the current efforts. So the current efforts, in addition to launching that inclusivity center, which really having that space where um, historically underrepresented students in engineering, such as women, but also underrepresented ethnic minorities, can can come together and have a network um, and also not feel, you know, frankly, so isolated. Uh, to be honest, you know, like I said, when I was going through my mechanical engineering to be one of so very few women, you can, and, and I'm sure you can relate to this as well, you can really feel uh, that maybe you, you shouldn't be there, that uh, it really isn't a field for you. So that even that physical space in itself has been really uh, fantastic for our students. But we also do quite a bit of of uh, programming out of that space, in particular with the uh, great work that was done by uh, someone I hired into uh, the college, first as the Director of Diversity and Outreach Initiatives, uh, Tujan Rahal, but then I also uh, recently uh, promoted her and made her our first Assistant Dean for Inclusive Excellence and Strategic Initiatives. And I think it's really important both to have a physical space uh, where our students who are underrepresented can gather and come and talk to each other uh, in a very comfortable environment, but also to have a specific person in the role who is um, helping to really drive um, increase in diversity and inclusivity has uh, is really critical to current to to efforts to grow diversity in your college or your university and so that's really been a lot of our our current efforts and, and of course on our um, search committees and, and really just making sure that we're doing everything we possibly can to make our college as inclusive as possible um, your your question about why is the college focused on diversity in general well I, I 
Well, you know, from the standpoint of engineering, and and I know you know this, of course. Um, you know, we cannot produce enough engineers for uh, for for our country and, and frankly, for the world, tech is changing so quickly um, at an exponential pace. And companies, uh, even just in our state, but around the nation are saying, we need, we need more technical talent. In addition, what you find is that, you know, as I, as I mentioned before, innovation lies at the intersections. I think that solving the grand challenges that engineers are working on, the grand challenges facing our planet, are not going to come from uh, people that uh, all think the same or come from the exact same background. We need to have diversity of thought, which really comes from diversity of gender, diversity of culture, diversity of ethnicity, uh, diversity of socioeconomic status, all, all types of diversity that need to come to the table and think outside the box because we're not, without having these this diverse thought, uh, we're not going to be able to solve the grand challenges that uh, that are facing uh, are facing the world. But also, um, you know, it, from a personal perspective, engineering is an incredible field, and the ability to to really think critically and solve problems and um, and work together, um, and and the the opportunities are huge. We need to provide those opportunities to everyone. Um, and so, I, you know, diversity has uh, is critical from the bottom line. You know, I think companies have uh, been shown the more diverse their boards are, uh, the more diverse their I'm, I'm sorry, the more profitable even the companies are. The diversity and perspectives and approaches to problem solving are truly stellar to um, to solving major problems. Um, but also, you know, that's that's providing. Um, you know, say an overview from the standpoint of, okay, here's all the metrics about why diversity is important. Um, we can show it's great for a company's bottom line. We can show how much we need more engineers in this country and, and with the pace of tech. Uh, we can show how innovation lies at the intersections. And then I'll just say personally, what I feel is that I also want this and do this because it is the right thing to do. We need to offer this opportunity to be in an incredible field to as many people as possible. Wow, very well said. Very well said. Um, I I um, really appreciate your comment about offering the opportunity because engineering is such a great field, and you really do have the chance to solve problems that change the world and to um, eliminate a portion of the population from being able to participate in that is just um, not acceptable. So thank you for sharing those thoughts. Absolutely. I'm going to change gears here just a little bit. I understand that Mizzou Engineering launched three online degrees, degree programs recently, uh, master's degrees in industrial engineering and biological engineering, as well as a bachelor's degree in information technology. Um, why is it important for the college to offer courses and degree programs online? And what would you say to a student who's interested in continuing her education, but who is unsure of how to begin? So I, I think online 
degrees that we are offering, well, for one thing, they're stellar. We, you know, these are offered by the same faculty who the students would be taking courses from if they were to come right here to campus. But, you know, we started this conversation about um, your and my uh, backgrounds in, in community college and, and how if we hadn't had the ability to have a really flexible type of, of education to start, we might never be where we are today. And that is part of our, and actually a very strong component of why we're doing what we're doing with these online degrees. We might have single moms who uh, can't come to campus. We might have people in rural communities who maybe can't afford to, uh, again, live on campus and, and uh, or maybe people are working full-time jobs. We all have stories of how we've, we've progressed in our educational pathway. These online degrees give our students the flexibility to take these courses from anywhere in the world on their uh, at their own time that works best for them. Uh, so if if they're um, you know a mom at home and and can't uh, make it to campus or is not in a, a position to do a typical four year degree, these are truly amazing opportunities for those who already have their uh, bachelor's degrees. These two master's degrees, uh, master's in biological engineering, master's in industrial engineering, these can be done in two years with, uh, I think we had, a, you could do two courses per semester, uh, I believe. But the ability then to progress in your field, to get a master's degree on your own flexible timeline, uh, really provides opportunities that, like I said, not not everybody's able to come and, and come to campus and, and take these courses um, at, at the actual university. The bachelor's in information technology as well, I mean, um, you know, these are just really incredible degrees that uh, are going to give students a, a real leg up in, in their careers. And, uh, you know, from the standpoint of, of people who really need more flexibility than, um, than those who can come to campus and take all their courses on campus, I see this as a critical component of our land grant mission. We want to reach out to anybody who wants to become an engineer or further their education, no matter where they are in the state or the country or the world, and give them every opportunity. So we're very excited about uh, these these new online degrees. And with respect to your question about how to begin, uh, well, you could just go to our, our website and, and we have uh, a whole separate link on where the online uh, degrees are. I think it's just Mizzou Online. And you could, uh, she can go to that site and not only these engineering degrees are on there, but also um, all the other degrees that Mizzou is offering right now. Okay. And I, I've just looked it up and it looks like it's online.missouri.edu is the- Thank uh, you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't yeah. have it right in front of me, but yes, online.missouri.edu. That's it. Great. Great. And does the college have plans to launch additional online degree programs? Absolutely. Yes. We're in the process of preparing more online degree programs now um, and also doing uh, quite a few certificates. So for- uh, there might be some people who are working and they just need to uh, strengthen a certain area. So we have a cybersecurity certificate that will be launched and offered very soon online. Uh, we're we're going to look at a multitude of ways to really personalize learning for people to, to take the courses uh, that they need at 
the time that works for them and also to achieve their degrees. That sounds like a very exciting time to be in academia and certainly at Mizzou. Um, Is there anything else that you'd like to share before we close? I just would like to uh, thank you so much for the opportunity and to all those women engineers, aspiring women engineers, uh, stick with it. The world will be your oyster. Uh, It can feel overwhelming at times. I know Uh, there's, I think uh, the data shows 70% um, experience imposter syndrome. Just recognize that data. It's normal if you feel it, um, but you can make it push through and life is, uh, it, it, it's be, life as an engineer is incredible. So stick with it. You can do it. Well, thank you for that advice. Uh, Dean Leboa, thank you so much for joining us. Elizabeth Leboa is Dean of the University of Missouri College of Engineering. And I'm Penny Worsing for all of us at SWE. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Penny. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or like your favorite episodes on SoundCloud. If you have not already made plans to be a part of the largest gathering of women engineers in the world, visit our WE19 conference site, we19.swe.org.